Hello, everybody. Welcome to Summit Church here in Fenton. Welcome everyone in the congregation. Welcome everyone on social media. We're so glad you've joined us today. Hey, we've been studying uh, about the kings of the Old Testament. We've been learning lessons from them. And uh, uh, it's. I think it's been a real good series. We're going to Continue on, I think, a, a couple of more weeks with this, and then we'll we'll conclude. But we've been learning lessons from the kings of the Old Testament, as I said. We've been looking at things and things that, that they did that made them successful that we ought to do. And then we've looked at some things that some of them did that that, uh, that they shouldn't have done. And we can learn from them and not do the things they did and, and miss the turmoil that, that some of them went through because of their mistakes. But remember uh, the... Uh, uh, Saul was the first king, and then David, then Solomon. After Solomon, the, the Israel broke into two separate kingdoms under Solomon's son. There was Israel in the north, Judah in the south. We finished the kings in the north, but we still have a couple of, uh, of them to go here in, in the south in Judah. Now, last week, we looked at, at the good king Hezekiah. Good king Hezekiah, and he was uh, the best of the best kings of Judah, Hezekiah, but now we're going to get to his son, who was the worst of the worst. Mean. I say mean. I, let me read. Well, mean, mean, evil. Manasseh. And again, uh, something I've been bringing out again and again each week is that you know Hezekiah was a good, good, good king, best of the best. But his son comes up, and he's the worst of the worst. So how can a a good parent have this this evil evil son? You know, and and you know. I don't know how you figure it out, really, other than uh, each person has to make their own decision as to how they're going to be. A child, when they get older, they have to make the, their decision of, of how they're going to live their life, you know. So, so uh, you, know, you, you, you know, Hezekiah was a good king, uh, but his son, son wasn't. And so we don't want to beat Hezekiah up. I mean, I don't think that he did anything wrong. It's just Manasseh, his son, just chose, chose the wrong path. And, uh, and I say that because a lot of times you have good parents that raise children and the children don't turn out the way that, that they would, the parent would like. And then the parent feels terrible because, you know, they're good parents, but they, the child isn't doing what they're supposed to do. And the parents a lot of times think they've done something wrong or that, you know, don't beat yourself up. You know, you did the best you could raising your children. They have to make their own decisions, but keep praying for them. And just believe the, the Bible verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And we're going to see some of that, I think, here perhaps uh, today as we look at Manasseh. So with that being said, let's go to Second Chronicles 33, 2 Chronicles 33. And uh, usually the Kings gives an account, and then the Chronicles gives an account of these, of these kings. Uh, but we're going to read from Second Chronicles 33, and you need to read the Kings and the Chronicles really to get the full story. But the, we'll look at Second Chronicles 33, verse 1 says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And uh, he had uh, the longest reign of all the kings, and um, uh, he probably co-reigned with his father Hezekiah for 10 years. So he was, he became the king. He was inducted as king. But as I've studied into it, he, he co-reigned with his father, Hezekiah, good Hezekiah, for 10 years. Okay. So he became king at 12. But, but as you study into it, he was like 
I, I don't know how you, co-regent maybe, you know, we could say it that way with his, with his uh, father, Hezekiah. But then Hezekiah died. And from the way I calculate it, Manasseh is 22 years old when he takes full reign of Judah. And things get really, really, really bad in Judah. Remember under, under Hezekiah, things went, went very well because he loved the Lord, he sought the Lord, and the Lord blessed Judah and so forth, you know. But Manasseh, when, when Hezekiah dies, you know, this influence, this good influence that sat there, uh, over Manasseh, when that was removed, now Manasseh has full reign to do whatever he wants. And, uh, and, and it wasn't good. Um, uh, now, one thing I think that's important, important to say here is that I think, this is, this is from my study of it, this is what I personally think. I think Manasseh knew the Lord in some capacity. Okay? Um, from his father, obviously he was around good King Hezekiah. So Hezekiah had taught Manasseh about the Lord. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Manasseh knew about the Lord. Um, you know, Hezekiah probably took him to Sunday school, you know, like a lot of parents do, you know. Uh, you know, so they didn't have Sunday school back there then, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure that Hezekiah told Manasseh, his son, about the Lord a lot. Because, because the Lord was such a big part of Hezekiah's life that Manasseh knew, I'm convinced he knew the Lord in some, I, I say in some capacity, I, I think in a great capacity. In a, in, in a great capacity, Manasseh knew the Lord. And, uh, and, and we'll see that. We know that from, as I said, from Hezekiah, his dad, being so godly, but, but also, in a little while, we're gonna, gonna, I'm gonna mention a prayer that Manessa prayed. And, uh, and, and you can see from that prayer that he had learned things, I'm convinced, when he was a child. And, uh, he knew, he knew about the Lord, but he, I believe he knew the Lord in some capacity, but rejected him. And when he becomes full, full fledged, 22 years old, and now he's the king, now he rejects the Lord and the, the things that he had been, I'm convinced, taught as a child. And, uh, and you see that a lot. You know, I've pastored for 27 years and you see that a lot. I've already alluded to it, but, but, you know, parents train their children and bring them to church every Sunday and all that. But once the kids get a, get of age, they leave the, they leave home and they go out and just live, live like the devil, you know. And, and that's what, uh, Manessa did. But, so let's read on here. Verse 2, now we're going to find out what he did once he had full reign there in Judah. Verse 2, Second Chronicles 33, verse 2. But he, Manasseh, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now you have to remember, Hezekiah is a good king. A lot of good things going on under Hezekiah. Remember, he did away with all of the evil that was in the land that his father had brought in. Right, but now Manasseh rises up, and and now he's going to bring all this evil back and worse. Think about the people in Judah, what they were going through. You know, they had good King Hezekiah, and now all that's going to be thrown out, and Manasseh is going to bring all this evil in. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now watch this. 
Verse 3, he, Manasseh rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals, those false gods, you know, and made uh, wooden images. And these had to do the Asherah, Asherah poles and whatnot. These were sexual idols that he, that he uh, uh, made and had made. He worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Now think about that. He worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He was into astrology and, uh, you know, what we would call horoscopes and worse, you know. And uh, he, he worshipped, no doubt, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Think about this. But as you study into it even more, you could make argument that he also worshipped fallen angels. And, and the devil himself, the devil's a fallen angel. And so you've got Hezekiah, I'm sorry, you've got Manasseh, son of Hezekiah. Manasseh, you know, for sure he's worshiping the, you know, the stars, the sun, the moon, all that. But you can make argument when it talks about the host, all the host of heaven. You can, you can make argument as you study into it that he may well have been worshiping fallen angels and even worshiping the devil himself and demon power. Think about that. Verse 4, he also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. And uh, and notice verse 5, and he built altars for all the host of heaven uh, in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Think about, think about building uh, altars in, in, in the church right here. What would you think if I built an altar in the church here? Uh, we're going to worship the moon. We're going to worship. We're going to worship the stars, or, or we're going to worship the devil himself. Think about that, or we're going to worship some sex god. Think about it. that's what he did. That's what this man did. Desecrated the house of God. Look at verse six. He uh, also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Well, that's human sacrifice. Can you? You know, we've talked about that before with some of these other kings. How they would. Would, would burn their, their, their babies and burn their children as, sac- as sacrifice to these false gods. That's terrible, isn't it? It's just terrible. Of course, we have abortion in the land today, you know, which relates to this. It's, it's a bad thing. It's a terrible thing. And then, so he was doing that. He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery. And consulted mediums and spiritists. You see, you see that devil worship there. Now this is a young man who no doubt I'm convinced knew of the Lord, knew about the Lord, knew the Lord in some, I think, great capacity. And now he's just turned completely, completely against God. And, and can you see the devil worship here? Can you see it? I mean, my gosh. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke the Lord to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And and you see, he set a carved image. I mean, all these idols he's bringing in, which his father had gotten rid of. Now he's bringing them all back in. And uh, notice verse 9 says something else, Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. See, he wasn't just evil himself. He was seducing 
all the people of Judah and Jerusalem to be evil also. I mean, it's bad enough to be evil yourself, but when you're, when, when you're making other people be evil and seducing them to be evil, and he's the king and he has much influence. Think about, I'm, I'm taking time here because I want you to see how evil this guy was. Just evil. Just evil. And, uh, and we won't turn there, but in 2 Kings 21, in 2 Kings 21, the Bible, in, in the king's account of Manasseh, says Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Think about that. And in fact, according to Jewish tradition, Manasseh had the prophet Isaiah murdered by having him sawn in two. That's how the prophet Isaiah came to an end. Manasseh, this king, had him sawn in two. That's Jew, according to tradition. And then in verse, now you would think God wouldn't have anything to do with a guy like this, that God would just shoot a, fi- uh, shoot a lightning bolt down and just destroy him. You would think that. But you know God, the great, great God Jehovah, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's merciful, isn't He? God's merciful. And, uh, and in verse 10, the Bible says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. See, He didn't send a lightning bolt down. He spoke to Manasseh and his people, you know, through prophets. And uh, we see that again and again, how God sent, sent prophets to the kings to get them back on track. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. God's trying to get them back on track, but they would not listen. They would not listen. You know, my mother, she taught me a lesson when I was a kid, and she told me this many times, and we can learn it right here as we go on. She said, if you won't listen, you'll have to feel it's very true. If you won't listen to good sound advice, then you're going to have to feel the consequences of your bad behavior. And we're going to see that Manasseh is going to run into that here in just a moment. But God spoke to him. God tried to get him back on track and the people, but they would not listen. Verse 11, therefore the Lord, now watch this, therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with nose hooks. Now it says with hooks. It says with hooks, but you study into it. They they put hooks. In, they put a hook in in uh, like a nose ring, a big nose ring in Manasseh's nose, and they took a chain with it, and and they they took him off into captivity. Wow. See now, is that what God wanted to do? No, God spoke to him and wanted him to repent, and he should have listened, and he wouldn't have had to feel the the nose piercing going in there. Is that right? You know. But he wouldn't listen to God. So the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army, the king of Assyria, and took Manasseh with hooks or with a nose hook and chains bound him with bronze fetters. Bronze implies judgment. And carried him off to Babylon. Think about that. God allows the enemy to come in and do this because Manasseh wouldn't listen. And carried him off to Babylon. Now verse 12 says, Now when he was in affliction. Now when he was in affliction. And actually, if you, if you would turn to 2 Kings 21 verse 14. 2 Kings 21, uh, 21 verse 14. 
uh, brings a little more out on this. Notice what God specifically said that he was going to do here. 2 Kings 21, 14. So I will forsake the remnant of my, my inheritance. And he's talking about this situation right here with Manasseh and the people there. And notice it says, And deliver them into the hands of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. So what is God going to do here now? Because they wouldn't listen. Manasseh so evil. And, and Manasseh wouldn't listen. So what did God do? He, he, he warned him. He wouldn't listen. So now he's going to deliver him into the hand of the enemy. And of course, we saw that when we just read how the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria and took Manasseh with that nose hook and bound him with bronze fetters, chain, chains, and took him off into Babylonian captivity. And when he was in affliction... When he was in affliction. Now I want to hold, I want you to hold your place right there. Can, can you leave Manessa right there in affliction? Can you leave him there yes. in, in your notes? Just leave him there in your notes for a minute. We're going to come back to him. But I want to take a moment and show you one of God's methods of operation and how he deals with, 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 uh, believers, people who, who, uh, uh, who, who know him who turn away from him or they get over into sin and they practice sin over a long period of time and there's no evidence that they're ever going to repent. This is one method, not the only method, but one method that God will use. Now, where have we left Manasseh? We've left him with the nose hooks. We've left him in the, the prisons of the Babylonians in affliction, in affliction. So let's leave him there, but I, we'll come back to him. But I want to show you something here. Go to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Now, what happened to Manasseh? God delivered him over to the enemy. Is that right? He delivered him because he wouldn't listen. And uh, notice here in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, says, uh, it, is actually, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. So there was a man there in the church in Corinth and he was, he was living with, having sexual relations with his stepmother. Okay? Now, now that's not good. All right? And uh, so, so the, the, the question that, you know, that comes up on this is, was this man truly a born-again Christian? And to answer that question as best I can, go down, just go down to the 11th verse, 1 Corinthians 5.11. Paul is writing to this church about this situation and he says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. So this man is named a brother, okay? And, and notice, uh, uh, it says here, to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now, now that'll, that'll uh, cut your lunch, uh, that, that, that right there will cut down who you can go to lunch with. <laughs> yeah. but, but with that being said, this man who's living with his stepmother, having sexual relations with his stepmother, he's, he is named a brother. And notice as we read on here, verse 12 says, "For what, Now Paul says, For what have I to do with judging those 
also who are outside outside the church, okay, is what he's talking about. Do you do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. What did he just tell us? This man is named a brother and he's part of that church. But from my study of it, he, he is, he is a, he is part, he's on the, in, Paul sees him as being on the inside of that church. Not just attending, not just a Christian in name only, but really named a brother and really part of, really part of the body of Christ. If, if he wasn't really a part of the body of Christ, Paul just said he wouldn't even be dealing with the guy. Paul said, he, I don't deal with, I'm not going to judge people out in the world, sinners, but, but, but this man is inside the church. He's really, from my study, a born again believer, and, and, and he's off into, into sexual sin. I've been pastoring a long time, and I've watched many Christians. They're, they're born again. You, you know they are. They, 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 they do love the Lord, but you, but you see them practicing all kinds of sin, not just sexual sins, but, you know, there was other things that were mentioned in the list there. Uh, and, and I've watched this over the many years. And, uh, but this man here was, was apparently, as far as I can tell, he was really, truly a born-again Christian. He was part of that church. He was inside that church. And, uh, and he, was, he was practicing this terrible sin. And notice back to verse 2. Go back up to verse 2. And Paul says to this church in Corinth, he says, You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done, uh, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. In fact, what Paul just said there to the pastor of that church and the leadership, he said, You're not doing anything about this. You got a man here that's living apparently in open sin. You got a church member, a born again believer, that's living in open sin, and you're not, you're not doing anything about it. You're actually puffed up. You're almost, almost prideful about it. Think about that. And Paul says that, that should not ought to be. He said, this guy needs to be taken away from you. And we got it now. Remember, where's Manessa now? He's, where's he at? We left him. He was an evil man, right? He's, he's in affliction, right? Nose hooks. Keep him there. Don't forget about him. But this man here, he's in sin, isn't he? This guy here, living in sin, open sin, is that right? Practicing it. No, no sign of any repentance that I see any time in the future here. And the church is just letting it go right along. Just everything is going right along. And Paul says that you need to uh, uh, have him taken away. In other words, put him out of the church. Put him out of the church. Or we could say excommunicated, put him out of the church. Uh, have no fellowship with him. Don't even eat with him. Now that's the natural side of it. Okay? But now, let's read on. For I indeed as being absent in body, this is verse 3, but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has, has done this deed. See, he's, this guy's inside the church. Paul's going to do church discipline and, and judge him. In the name of our, now watch verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, so we've got official, official authority here. This is not just a little prayer group off to the side that's going to turn, it's going to do what we're about to read. This is the pastor and the leadership, official leadership of the church, along with the apostle Paul, a true apostle. Notice what they're going to do to this guy. Verse 5, deliver such a one, did Manessa get delivered over to the enemy? Well, what are they going to do to this guy? 
Now, they've already put him out of the church. Naturally, they, they're not even going to eat with him anymore. Deliver such a one to Satan, that's the devil, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. See, this guy, God's moving in here now through the Apostle Paul and going to be dealing with this guy who's living with his stepmother to get him back on track. Okay? Now, uh, as we as we read, Paul makes clear that this man is inside the church, and that's why this drastic action is going to be taken. The eternal destination of this man's spirit is in a dangerous place. Would you agree with me? Yes. See, a, a lot of people think, "Well, I got born again. I, 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 you know, I came forward. I knelt down on the altar. I received Jesus. I got born again." And now I can just, you know, I'm just going to live however I want. You know, there's a lot of Christians in the United States living loose lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, living loose lives. Yeah. Having sex outside of marriage, committing adultery, fornication, all these kinds of things. Mm. Even having homosexual relations. It's not acceptable. I said it's not acceptable. And they think that they can do that and still be saved. And I realize there is a theological argument that, that comes up in the middle of this, which I'm not going to get into. I'm just going to say, this man is in a dangerous place. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. He's in a dangerous place. Otherwise, why would God have Paul take this drastic action? If it was okay for this man to be, to be a, to be a born again believer and everything's, you know, he's in the church and, and if it was okay for him to cohabitate and have sex with his stepmother, if that was okay, why take this drastic action to have him put outside the church and then deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? Why? Because his spirit's in danger and God is concerned about his eternal destination. And we just read this is all being done so that his spirit may still be, may, may yet be saved. The Amplified Classic brings it out real well if you read it. That delivers such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may yet be saved. In other words, his spirit's in trouble. If he dies in this case, in this, in this position, he's in trouble. There's a danger, listen to me, there's a dangerous place to die. Now, we understand that sinners that don't know Jesus, they're in a dangerous place. They die, they go to hell. But I'm talking about Christians now. I'm talking about born-again believers. There's a dangerous place to die. And this is a teaching that's been lost, I know, here in the United States over many years. Holiness in, in churches has pretty much gone away. And Christians have got, because of pablum-pushing pulpiteers that don't preach the Bible and tell people just what they want to hear all the time, people have, uh, I'm talking Christians, have a looseness about them and they think it's okay to, 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 to commit, commit all these sins, sexual and other sins, and it's okay, I'm still going to go to heaven. And I tell you what, we better take another look at our Bibles because it's not okay. You put your eternal destination as to whether or not you're going to go to heaven or hell in jeopardy. If I'm not talking about a Christian that blunders and makes a mistake. I'm talking about a Christian that, 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 that gets off into a lifestyle of sin and they continue in that and persist in that. Uh, it's a, there's a dangerous place to die. And I tell you what, here in the United States, I, I've watched this pastors, they, they, I, I, there's church, there's little church discipline that I ever see enacted. And, and, and we live in a society that if it was enacted, the pastor would get hit with probably 10 lawsuits, you know. Yep. 
But this man's in a dangerous place. In a dangerous place. And you know, you think about, they're going to deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That sounds mean and cruel and oh, why? You know, but we live in a society where that's what would happen if, if a pastor did that. Uh, uh, he'd be accused of being mean and cruel and you're kicking, you know, you're kicking him out. And you're, you're kicking him out. And uh, uh, the Bible says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. If you let that, if you let that sin go on in a church, it'll, it'll work its way and, and, and hurt the whole congregation. But, 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 uh, you know, uh, it, it, but, but, but a pastor would be hit with, oh, you're mean, you're being mean, you put that guy out of the church, you turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. See, putting him out of the church is a natural side of it. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh is a spiritual side of it. But if this was done in the United States and, and, and most of anything I know, that, that the church members would say, oh, you're being mean, you're being cruel, you know. And church, some church members would leave because the pastor would do such a thing. But this is what Paul did. But here's the thing. It looks like it's a mean thing. But if you read 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul did this because he writes later. When he wrote this, he wrote it with tears and anguish because he was broken over what this man was doing. He was upset that the church leadership was letting it go on, but he was broken because he had to write this letter. He didn't want to do it, but he needed to do it because he had this man's eternal soul, his eternal spirit, his eternal destination as to heaven or hell. In mind. And I feel impressed to say it again. A lot of people come in here and say, well, the man's born again, so he can live however he wants, and, you know, or, or he commit this sin, he's born again, he's going to go to heaven when he dies. We need to take another look at our Bible. I don't believe our Bible teaches that. This man's in trouble, and he needs help. He needs God to intervene, and God's intervening. And God's not going to intervene in the way that, that, that the United States Christians would think ought to be intervened. That, you know, that, oh, God's being mean. No, he's not. He's trying to save this guy. And Paul wrote this with tears in his eyes. He wrote it with tears in his eyes. And, uh, and so what happened is they put this guy out of the church. They wouldn't, they wouldn't eat with him, wouldn't have anything to do with him. Now, it's not clear what Satan did to him. It's not clear. I don't, I can't tell you from, I don't know. But, but, but what I think happened is, is when they delivered him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, what happens? The devil will come in and afflict. His body probably got hit with some kind of sickness or disease. And the guy was probably looking at possibly dying of this sickness or disease. And in that moment, guess what he did? He repented because we see in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, this man repents. Can you say amen to that? I can say amen. This man repents. Aren't you glad God took the, this drastic measure? And this man repents. He repents. Thank God that he did. He repented as a result of this judgment of God delivering him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And, uh, and, and, and Paul writes and says, forgive him, because the man repented. He wrote to the, the same church, said, forgive him. See, because the people didn't want to let him back in. I mean, now they're in the ditch on the other side. Now they're not going to let him back in. And Paul writes and says, hey, he's repented. You know, the implication is clear. He repented, let him back in, forgive him, and, and, and let him, let him be part of the church again. And his eternal spirit now got right, right with the Lord. He got that sin out of his life, repented it, no doubt confessed it. Now he's back right with the Lord and everything's fine. Isn't God good? Amen. 
I said, isn't God good? He was restored. See, he was delivered to, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved. In the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me show you one in the Old Testament, another one. Now, where is Manasseh? Where do we leave Manasseh? He's in, he's in affliction. He's in a Babylonian prison, right? With the nose hooked, right? Let's just leave him there. But let's look at another one very quickly. In Judges 16, just, just very quickly, we see God using this method of delivering, uh, uh, people, believers, people that, 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 that know him who get into sin, practicing sin. We see God do this in the Old Testament as well. We just saw an example here in uh, in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Actually, uh, Paul did this to two other men uh, in, in the New Testament, which I'm not going to take the time to get into this morning, Hymenaeus and Alexander. But... Uh, I'll not take the time for that, but God uses this method where He, where people are, that know Him, that believe on Him, but they're, they've gotten into sin, they're not gonna repent, where He'll deliver them over to the enemy for the destruction of the flesh, and when that flesh starts getting destroyed, the devil's hitting their flesh, then they'll repent and turn back to God. See? And so, uh, Samson, have you ever heard of Samson? Well, this happened to Samson. A lot of people don't realize it, but this happened to Samson. You know, the strong man of the Old Testament, you know, and, and with the long hair and the power of God had come on him and all of that. But you need to realize Samson was a judge of Israel. He was a believer. There's no question he loved the Lord, but he, he lived a loose life. He, he, he was not, how, how do I want to say it? You really study into it. He messed around with a lot of loose women, prostitutes and harlots. Did you hear what I just said? And, and, and then you can make great argument that he had a problem with alcohol. Absolutely. If I had the time, I've, pre I've preached on him several times over the years. There's no question that he had a problem with alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, to the point of drunkenness, that he had a problem with, with drunkenness. Do you understand what I just said? And, and, and so wild women and drunkenness. Okay, and it's no 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 doubt about it to me that he, he here's a judge of Israel, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a believer in Almighty God, and, and in a position of authority. And by the way, I think, and I can't prove this, but I think that man we just talked about in First Corinthians, I think he may have held a position of authority in that church. Um, I can't prove that, but I just from my study, I think he may have. <clears throat> but be that as it may, whether you're in a position of authority or not, it doesn't matter. If you get over into sin and you won't repent, God will deal with you. If you're a believer, you know He'll deal with you. And uh, and so Samson was a believer. He's got loose loose uh, morals about him, you know, wild women and 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 and, and alcohol and alcoholism or whatever however you want to say it and uh getting drunk I can prove all this if I had the time. But guess what God does? Look at Judges 16 verse 19. I believe Samson was in a dangerous place to die. I'm talking about his spirit. His eternal destination of his spirit. Yeah, but 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 he was a believer. He's a believer. He's a believer, so he's going to be fine. Well, Look, we need to look at our Bibles again. We need to take another look at our Bibles. Remember the prodigal son? How many remembers the prodigal son? He was in daddy's house. He left daddy's house. Where did he wind up? In a pig pen? Is that right? What if he'd have died in a pig pen? Now, thank God he didn't. But what if, was he in a dangerous place to die in a pig pen? Huh? I'm glad he didn't die in a pig pen. I'm sure he's glad he didn't die in a pig pen. Huh? Right. But, but, but thank God he repented. He came back to daddy's house. Daddy, who's a, who's a type of God, received him back. But in that pig pen, he's in a, he's in a dangerous place to die. And how do I know that? Because later on, after he repents, 
Remember his older brother came in and was upset that he that daddy received him back. And remember what the daddy said, who's a type of God. He said, my son, when he was in the pig pen, was dead and was lost. Right? Was lost, was dead. Is that right? So in the pig pen, he's in a dangerous place, isn't he? There's a dangerous place to die. United States needs more teaching along this line right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Samson's in a dangerous place. Look at Judges 16, verse 19. Then uh, it says here, Then she, Delilah, who's a, who's a prostitute, loose woman, however you want to say it, lulled him to sleep on her knees. Now, and, and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Well, now... You know, he'd been lying to her all along, and, play, and Samson played with his call. He was lying to this woman about the power of where his strength came from and all that. But she lulls, if you read up above, but she lulls him to sleep and calls for a man to come in and shave off the seven locks of his head. Now, I'm going to tell you what, he was passed out drunk on her lap. There's no question about that, because you're not going to cut my, well, I don't have hair to cut off. But, but if I did have hair, you're not... Do you think I could lay my head in my wife's lap and be asleep and her give me a haircut and not wake me up? I mean, I don't sleep that sound. I don't think I've met anybody who sleeps that sound. Or, or if she had another, somebody come in the room and cut it off, you know, while I'm laying there. I mean, he's, he's passed out drunk in my opinion. I don't think there's any question about it. But, but whether or not, uh, this is a bad situation here. And she lulls him to sleep. The guy comes in, cuts off his head, hair, not his head, his hair. And, and she said, the Philistines are on you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. See, he'd been living in sin and getting, and it looked like he was getting away with it. And, and, and he got so accustomed to sin and he'd become so carnal and so fleshly that, that it didn't, I, you know, sin, when you first start sinning, it, it bothers you. But as you sin more and practice it more, it bothers you less. And it's clear from the Bible, you can live a lifestyle, I'm talking to Christians now, you can live a lifestyle of sin to the point where you get desensitized to it. And, 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 and that cuss word that you said three years ago, which would have bothered you, don't bother you no more. That lie that you said three years ago bothered you then. It, you've been lying all these years. It don't bother you no more. Because your conscience can become seared, the Bible says. Or calloused. You know, I know I work with yard tools. And, and, and I tell you what, you know, I've had calluses where when my hands were soft, uh, I'd work with them yard tools. It wouldn't bother my, it, it, would, it would bother my hand. But once I get a callus there, it doesn't bother my hand anymore. And that's what can happen to your heart. I'm not talking your blood pump. I'm talking about your, your spirit. As you sin more, you become desensitized to it. The United States has become desensitized to sin. I'm talking the church. And, 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 and lying and stealing and cheating and sexual sin doesn't bother much of the church anymore like it used to. Doesn't bother much of the pulpits anymore like it used to back when I was a kid growing up. But Samson's got this loose life going on and he says, well, I, I'm going to go out and just shake myself free like I've done all these other times. But look at this. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Think about that. He was so carnal, he didn't even know the presence of God had lifted from him. Now, what's God doing here? God's lifting his presence. And notice what happens. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. 
and brought him down to the down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters. Where is uh, where is Manasseh right now? He's still in the Babylonian prison with the nose hook, and he's bound with what bronze fetters? Type of judgment. You see, God took his hand off of Samson. Do you see that? The spirit of the Lord departed from him. Samson didn't even know. I've been sinning all along here. I'm going to just go out and do what I've always done. But I tell you what, you can sin one time too many. I'm just telling you, you can. And he did. And he played with, you play with, he played with sin too long. I tell you what, dangerous place to die. So God intervenes and God takes his hand off of him and delivers him over to Satan here for the destruction of the flesh. Watch this. God lifts his spirit from him. The Philistines take him, put out his eyes. How would like, how would you like to have your eyes gouged out? I'm talking about the strong man in the Old Testament now. He's got his eyes gouged out. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord had left him, delivered him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He's bound. He's down in Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. He becomes a grinder in the prison. You see, he's been delivered over to Satan, hasn't he? However, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Can anybody say amen to that? Praise God. See, God's doing this not because God's mean. God's doing this because God is love. He's trying to help Samson, you see. And the hair of his head began to grow again after it has been shaven. Glory to God. I could preach for hours just on that. I mean, there's hope. I tell you what, even if you're bound with sin, I tell you what, and God does do this to you. I tell you what, there's hope. Why is God doing this to Samson? To, to help him, you see. But the hair of his head begins to grow again after it had been shaven. And in verse 28 here, we see that Samson repents. Thank God he repents. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And remember, he was chained to those posts, you know. And the little lad there put his hands up, you know, showed him where to put his hands. And remember, he pushed and down came the uh, the pillars, you know. And, and the, the thing fell on the Philistines. He killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life and all of that. But but the good news is, is that he was in such a carnal state. He, he, I believe his spirit was in da- a dangerous place. God intervenes, delivers him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And you see that happen. And when, when his eyes are gouged out, he's in bronze fetters grinding at the devil's mill. Guess what? He repents. See, the destruction of his flesh drove him back to God. He repents, praise God. And, and God received him back. The power of God came back on him. Oh, God's a good God, isn't he? And, 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 he, and he got restored and he got restored to God before he died. Isn't that wonderful? And he missed hell and he made, he made heaven. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? But it's a good thing he repented before he died. But he did. And it's because God intervened. And delivered him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Glory to God. And, and it's interesting. And let me read this from my notes. The power of God came back on Samson. He got back to God. He got back to God, but he did not get back to where he was, naturally speaking, before he sinned. You can always get back to God, because God's gracious and good. Just don't let your time run out. Get back to God. Get back to God. You always do that. You can get back to God. But you can't always get back to where you were before you sinned. You commit adultery on your wife, God will forgive you, but you've lost some things. You commit adultery on your husband, you can get back to God, 
but you've lost some things. Now, I'm not saying the marriage can't be restored. It can, but it just doesn't, it may not be, and it just doesn't, you know, God will forgive you like that, but humans are a bit different. They should forgive you like that, but still there's, that trust needs to be rebuilt, and rightly so. So when God turns somebody over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and that the devil hits their flesh with sickness, disease, calamity, whatever it is, it'll cause a Christian to repent and run back to God. Or at least it should. It would me. How about you? And repent and God will receive them back. But I'm trying to tell you that sometimes those Christians lose things. The wages of sin is what is death. And you lose some things in the natural realm that you... As I've studied this over the years, and people can always, Christians can always get back to God, but... Sometimes they, they can get their health back. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they, they don't. They die and they, they go to heaven because they repented. But interesting subject, isn't it? Yeah. Now let's finish off Manasseh. I, I went all through that to just show you God's method here. I think it's worthwhile. Where did we leave Manasseh? He's in a Babylonian prison, right? In affliction. Let's go back to Second Chronicles 33 and we'll close here. Verse 12. Now when he was in affliction. Who's this? This is Manasseh. We left off here a moment ago. When he was in affliction, what's happened? God has delivered him over to, the, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Which implies to me that Manasseh must have known the Lord as a child. To some degree, he must have. And when he was in affliction, notice what he does. He implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. This is a good thing. And prayed to him. Wonder where he learned to do that. Watch his daddy do it. King Hezekiah, no doubt. And actually, there's an apocryphal prayer. You know what an apocryphal is? It's, 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 it's listed of the prayer he prayed. Apocrypha means it's not, it's like, a, there, there's, there's books of, of the Bible that's considered apocryphal. They're not considered in the canon of the, of the, the text. They're not reliable enough that, that they were put into the, to the Bible. There's a prayer that, that, there's a prayer of Manasseh. You ought to look it up online sometime. Don't do it now, but look it up online sometime. And it lists, it'll give the prayer that he prayed. Now it's, it's apocryphal in that it's not included in the Bible because scholars, people that, that you know, put the Bible together at the direction of the Holy Spirit, didn't feel it, that it, it, it was reliable enough to put in the Bible. And, and I understand that. But as, as I've read it, I, I personally feel, and I could be wrong, that, it, that it, it does list the prayer that he prayed. And you ought to read it sometime. I think it's about 15 verses. But as you read that prayer, it shows me that this man must have known the Lord as a young child to some degree. And... Uh, and uh, but notice he pray verse thirteen he prays where's he at now he's got the nose hook you know he's in the bronze fetters he's in the prison delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and in that see when that when that destruction hits your flesh what will somebody do that that knew the Lord what will they do they'll turn back to him and I see that with Manasseh here and he prays to the Lord and notice right here and he God received his entreaty heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Can you say amen to that? This evil, terrible man, he humbles himself, he repents, he prays. Can't you see how good God is? 
See, the, that nose ring that got that nose ring, that nose hook and the bronze fetters, it looks mean, it looks hard, it looks, it looks like, oh, God's being too hard and all that, you know. But, hey, God's doing it for this guy's good. Now, this guy, you can make argument, had, had, well, all these guys, you can make argument they had it coming. But, but the point is, God's doing it not because he's mean, he's doing it because he's good. And, and, and so, so what happens when Manasseh's in that prison? He prays, he humbles himself, and God receives his, his entreaty, he receives his prayer, heard his supplication, brings him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. He's restored to his kingdom. Just like that man in 1 Corinthians 5 was restored to the church. This, here's the king, he's restored to his kingdom. Now, now, if it was me after all that evil that he did, I probably wouldn't want to restore him to the kingdom. I'd probably want to hit him with a lightning bolt. How about you? But God is merciful. And God uh, uh, dealt with him, and Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Isn't that wonderful? God didn't give up on such an evil man. And if God won't give up on such an evil man as Manasseh, and if he can be restored, how much more can you and I be restored if we Amen. get over in, into areas that we shouldn't get into? Amen. That should be encouraging to all of us. It shows us that we're talking about lessons from the kings. One of the biggest lessons here is that we learn that God is a good God. Amen. And uh, notice verse 15. Now, his repentance was for real. I need to say that in the time I have left. His repentance was for real. Look at verse 15. When he gets back to Jerusalem, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. Isn't that wonderful? See, his repentance is for real. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded you to serve the Lord God of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful, isn't it? Nevertheless, the people still sacrifice on the high places only to the Lord their God. Look at verse 20. So Manasseh, then he went on, he died eventually. But what's, but you see, he didn't die in a dangerous place, did he? He got back to God. He got to God, didn't he? And he repented and they buried him in his own house and then his son Amnon reigned in his place. So as, let me just say this. What do we learn some lessons here? We'll talk about Amnon next week and we'll, or next time and we'll go on. But, uh, but we learn the power of true repentance before God. And, and did, did he have, did, did Manasseh, did he really repent? How do we, yes, he did. How do we know he really repented? Because he had actions proving it. He had corresponding, he didn't just have crocodile tears. You know what the crocodile tears, fake tears? He really, truly repented. And you can know somebody really, truly repents because their actions will, will uh, back it up. And it backed it up. And he went there and he did away with all that evil stuff that he had had in there. He got rid of all of it. Glory to God. And, and said, we're going to serve God now. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely. But we also will see, as we move on in this series, that though God forgave Manasseh, there were still some lasting effects of his sin that he did before he repented. Wages of sin is death. There's some natural effects and even some spiritual effects that it had on Judah as we move forward. And, and ultimately, it, it, you can see that it led him into Babylonian captivity on down several kings later. Isaiah 55, 7. Let's close with this. You getting anything out of this? You learned anything? It's interesting, if nothing else. Isaiah 55, 7. Let's close with this. Let the wicked forsake his way... In the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord. I believe Manasseh returned to the Lord. And, uh, and notice God will have mercy on him, on who? The wicked man, the unrighteous man that forsakes his way and turns to the Lord. The Lord will have mercy on him for he will what? Abundantly pardon. God will abundantly pardon. So if you're out there today and you're watching me on social media or even here in the congregation, wherever, you're a Christian, but you've gotten off in sin. You've been running with sin and practicing it, playing with it. You know, hey, God didn't start out with Manasseh by delivering him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. God had prophets speak to him. But Manasseh wouldn't listen. Because he wouldn't listen, then he got turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But you have better sense than Manasseh. Learn a lesson from him. And repent. Don't, don't, don't keep playing with sin to the point where God has to do what he did to Manasseh and the man in Corinth and Samson. Listen to my mom when she said, hey, if you don't listen, you'll have to feel. Listen to, listen to her. Listen to the Bible. And listen to me. Repent of your sins. I'm talking to Christians now who've been playing with sin. Repent. Repent. Don't let it get to the point where God has to turn you over to Satan. Don't let it get there. Listen, repent, turn, and confess your sins. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just read in Isaiah that God will abundantly pardon if you'll forsake, really for real, forsake your way, your evil ways, and really truly repent like Manasseh did. God will forgive you. And uh, get out of that dangerous place you've been living in. A dangerous place to die. Get out of there. Get out of there now. Listen while there's still time. And uh, turn to God. He'll forgive you. I tell you what, you'll be glad you did. Now if you're out there and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So I want to encourage you today to repent of your sins. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus. He'll come into your heart in a moment's time. You'll get born again. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven when you die. And God will make your life worth living in the meantime. God bless you. Thanks for listening to me today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.